Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Hey, as we're getting ready to go into today's word, do me a favor. If you haven't yet, get on your phone, open up your app, share this message on Facebook, however you choose to do so. Text somebody, let them know you're at church. If you're online joining us right now, if you haven't shared it yet, you're sitting somewhere, you're, you kind of have your phone out or whatever, just share it. Share the message with somebody. God not only wants to move here, uh, he wants to move in, in any avenue in any way that he possibly can. And this is a really important sermon series for our church, really important, because the question is, why are you having church right now? You know, they did a study over the last few, few weeks, and they asked Christians, evangelical Christians, uh, should the church be meeting physically right now? Should the church? Uh, about 27% said absolutely not. It's unsafe. It's unwise. So about three out of 10 church people said, no, we'll stay home. We'll watch it in our, in our, in our PJs. Watch it when we want to catch up. It's not safe to be in a church building. It's not safe to sing. Uh, 81% of, of Christians total, evangelical Christians, and I want to I use the, the phrase Christians lightly because just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Are you guys tracking with me? Like you can park your car yourself in the garage and call yourself a Porsche, but you're not a Porsche, man. You're, you're a Hyundai. And so like you don't get, like, you don't get to say I go, like just church people. 81% said the church should change somewhat. They should socially distance, follow the government orders, change what they do, maybe not sing, maybe, 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 maybe not pass a bucket, you know, maybe only let 25 people in at a time. Like 81% of churches, of church people say we should not, we should not be meeting. And, and the, the key word they use is attenders, right? Attenders. These, this amount of attenders says you should be changing what you do. And he, here's the key, the key term about attenders. Oftentimes, attenders are just pretenders, right? Attenders are just people that actually easily would bail out. Because here's the thing about attenders, if you do some research. The average American attender comes to church 1.7 times a month. So listen, it didn't take COVID to get people to believe that church was unimportant. It just took American society. It just took life, right? Like the, the same people that soccer is important and, and, and golf is important and the beach is important. The average attender comes 1.7 times. And I think it's funny when you ask the average attender, should the church be open? That's like a- asking the average person who has a pass at Planet Fitness, should Planet Fitness be open? To which most people would say no. And here's why. Only 18% of the people that pay 20 bucks a month to Planet Fitness actually go. In fact, of us that don't go, and I'm including myself in that equation, right? I haven't been all year. I paid, I paid, they stopped it for a little bit. I noticed they're taking my money out again a couple months ago. And so the money just comes in and then goes out. They would say to you, you're our favorite type of customer because you don't come in and put wear and tear on our, on our equipment. You don't eat our free pizza and you don't get our bagels when we give bagels. You are our favorite customer, right? But for churches, that's not true. Like I wasn't like, you know what we should do? We should make all of our decisions based on the people that come 1.7 times per month. So I'm not, listen, this sermon series is, is not directed towards the attenders. Like, I, I truly believe Journey Church is not going to relaunch and be normal. We're rebuilding right now. There's many people who were attenders that were actually pretenders that through this will be gone forever. 
And so we are not, I'm not anticipating, I'm not preaching to the church hoping everybody's coming back. I realize right now that we are rebuilding our church. And let me tell you something, as a pastor that's been pastor in the same church for 11 years, it's kind of awesome. It feels like we, and I'm not, I'm not talking just about people, but it feels like you can trim some fat. It feels like you can get rid of some things that weren't working. You can go, maybe we won't do that ever again. Why? Because it wasn't working in the first place. It feels like we're starting afresh. And because of that, I'm excited. I I want you to feel that. I'm encouraged about where we're going. I'm not distraught. I don't have anxiety about our buildings. I know the Lord is going to lead us to the right steps, the right situations. In fact, I think he's going to give us more opportunities as we go. And so this sermon series we call Double Down because I think it's time to be even riskier. Last week, we, we, we talked a little bit, and I said, I said, listen, the greatest risk for us as a church and as Christians is not death. In fact, everybody's going to die. I don't know. This is, this is kind of a spoiler alert for you. And most of you are not going to, most of you are not going to lay your heads on your pillows, say your prayers, and peacefully pass away. Like, we all want that. You're going to die from, most, most of you, from something painful. There's going to be people in here that, I don't, I, like, some of, some of us are going to die from cancer. Our last breath is going to be uh, all, yeah, I mean, we've had family members all drugged up just so that we could breathe, and then they're going to allow us to peacefully pass into the next, the next part of, our, uh, of eternity. Some of us will die unexpectedly. We'll, we'll get hit by, by something. Like, we're, all of us are going to die. Most of us are not going to die pleasant deaths. So when we talk about COVID, it's like, well, no, that's, that's a really bad way to die. Listen. Every way is a bad way to die. Death is not our greatest threat. I read an article this week. One of my friends sent it to me. And it was an article of an interview from a man named C.S. Lewis. He wrote a lot of, a lot of really uh, popular books, Mere Christianity. Uh, he wrote some, some novels, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, the movies. And he, he, lived, he lived in the middle of the 1950s, somewhere right around there. So I don't want to say it right. They interviewed him in 1948. During the, the atomic age, you guys, like when I was a kid, I remember seeing the, the, the mushroom clouds, and they asked him, how should we as Christians live with the threat of an atomic bomb killing us at any moment? Because here's the thing, there's always been threats like this. Like some of you have, have parents, and some of you are old enough, remember this, where you would do atomic bomb drills, remember? Like now, sometimes we get stuff from, from the nuclear power plant, it's like, here's what you should do if this blows up, and the truth is what you should do is drive as fast as you can into it because you're going to die quicker. The other way is just going to be a slow, painful death, right? Just get in, say your prayers, and head straight to it, right? Remember the dude from Independence Day? He flew his jet up into the, into the, the thing. You guys remember that movie? That's how, you, that's how you're supposed to do it. And so, like, how are you supposed to live? And he, here's what he said. I this, I want, this is about 70 years ago, 72 to be exact, 1948. I want you to hear this because there's people now. How should Christians be living during the, the COVID age? How should Christians be doing this? And this is what he says. How are we to live in an atomic age? He said, I'm tempted to reply. Why, has, why the same way you lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year? Or as you would have lived in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land, cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you were already living in the age of cancer, syphilis, paralysis, air raids, uh, rail, railway accidents, and now motor accidents. In other words, let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all of whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of you were already going to die in an unpleasant way. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors. 
but we have that skill. He says, it is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing along faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty. This is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken. Here's what it is, he said. He said, pull yourselves together. Pull, pull yourselves. And I love friends like that. Pull yourself, stop flipping out. This is nothing new. This is 72 years ago. Pull yourselves together, he says. He says, if we're all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb come when it, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. He says, they might break our bodies, but no one's allowed to dominate our minds. If, if this is the end, if this is the way the world ends, how do we want to be found? I want to be found doing what the Lord has called us to do. I want to be found doing what the Lord has called us to do. You see, we have a great opportunity in this moment. We have a great opportunity to be part of something that maybe generations past haven't had the chance in my, in my life. But I don't remember anything like this happening since 1980 where it feels like the world is constantly being shaken. Where the church has a chance to get itself, re we, we focused on so many things in my life. We have a chance to get our, ourselves situated and focused on what really matters. You see, uh, we, we, we shared that message last week, and, I, and I, after we shared it, I knew some people would like it, some people, I knew when I said, listen, death is not our greatest risk, and I gave you the risk of, of dying in an airplane and all these other things compared to the risk of dying from COVID, I knew people would still be mad at that. And I knew people wouldn't understand that message. And here's why we don't understand it. Because we haven't talked about it enough. Too many of our messages, and I'm going to even blame myself, have been about how to have a better marriage and how to make you know, better decisions with your money. And here's four steps to not be stressed out. And you have anxiety. I don't know how you have anxiety because you live in America, but you have anxiety. You know, here's your, here's, the, here's, your, here's your biblical pill to get rid of it, right? We're going to get you off physical pills. Here's your, your pill, purpose, you know, Ill, I is, you know, uh, something. And L is for loser because you're, you know, and, and we're going to give you the pill and all this stuff and and maybe maybe the reason these messages are ruffling so many feathers is because we haven't spent enough time talking about what's really important at what was at the central central core of the message of Jesus Christ because he only lived 33 years the center the center of his message was eternity was this is not this is not the end this is not what you're supposed to focus on this is not the life that you're supposed to do all you're investing into this is not the life you're supposed to spend all of your time thinking thinking about and stressing about and putting time and, and energy into. Like, think about what's really important. That was the message of Jesus Christ, and he came to deal with that. He came to give us an answer on eternity. So last week we talked about picking your wrist. Today, the title of my message is, is, is pretty simple, and I'm, I'm not trying to steal it from, from, from Ford because I don't have a truck. In fact, there's a truck gang text in our, in our church from some of the staff members, and I was uninvited to it. And they, I just found out about it. There's a truck gang, and you're not in it because you, you have a Jeep, and that's not technically a truck. And I said, that's, that's, that's a truck, right? Like, my, my Jeep's a truck. And, so, and they were like, no, you're not in it. But the title message is built tough. Built, built tough. Like, I want to be a church that is, that is a lot of churches, a lot of church people, you're just not built for this. And here's what you need to understand. Journey Church will always be for anyone, but it won't be for everyone. 
Anybody can come here, but I'm going to unapologetically preach the message that God has called me to preach, knowing that it won't be for everyone. There's going to be somebody right now who's at home. You're going to go, I'm going to another channel. And I invite you to go if you want. Like, I, if this isn't going to be a church, but we are going to be a built tough type of church. And here's why. Watch what it says about the last days in this. And I love what this, this is. This is dawning. 2 Timothy 3, he says, but mark this. Terrible times are coming. Terrible times, he says. People are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Some of you go, I know it's the last days now. You just, we, people have been asking, like disobedient to their parents. Watch this. Ungrateful. Ungrateful. Un, unholy. Without love. Unforgiving. Is it, I mean, does something, does something describe our current cultural problems more than, than what's really at stake? Is we are unforgiving people. We are holding people accountable for things that happened hundreds of years ago. We are unforgiving by the way, if you're a Christian and you're unforgiving, the Bible says, with the same measure you use to forgive others, that's how your Lord and Savior, that's how he forgives you. It's, it's, that's, that's, that should be dawning words to us as believers. He says you're going to be unforgiving. Watch what he says. You're going to be slanderous, no self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, over lovers. Oh, yeah, that 1.7 times a month. Why, why don't people come? Some people work, I get it. Why don't most people come? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You see it. We're gonna love, we're gonna love the things of this world rather than being a lover of God in the last days. Watch this, chapter five or verse five. Having a form of godliness, but absolutely denying his power, have nothing to do with such people. Talking about church people, by the way. So when I say journey church is for everyone, but it's not for anyone but it's not for everyone this is what i'm talking about there's people that deny god's power there's people that are obsessed with themselves there's people that are not forgiving there's people that are conceited there's people that love social media more than they love the real world there's people this church is not maybe for you and i'm okay with that because we are going to be different in this season we're going to be built tough and so what i want to do is i want to drop you into a couple stories over the next few weeks of People in the Bible that were living in a, in a, in a similar situation, uh, very uneasy, um, very, very abrupt changes in their life, and they were flourishing as the people of God. So let me give you kind of the background. Uh, the Jewish people, they, they are enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. God brings them out through Moses. You guys, if you've been in church, you know the story. He, he leads them on a journey to what the Bible calls the promised land. They get on the precipice on the promised land. After being, being taken care of, after the Lord watching over them, after winning some small battles, after being fed manna from heaven, after walking through the Red Sea on dry ground, and they, they balk, they're scared. They don't, they're intimidated by the people who are in the promised land, and so they don't go. So the Bible says, I'm not sending you because you're going to ruin it, so I'm going to let you wander for 40 years. So they wander around for 40 years. Everybody in that generation that was scared dies off, and the younger generation comes up. And they get to the precipice of the promised land. Spies go in. They do what God has told them to do. They march around the walls of Jericho, the Bible says. On the seventh day, they march around seven times. They scream as loud as they can. The walls come down. And they begin their ascent into the promised land. They begin to win battles everywhere they can. And they had a common problem. Here was the common problem. Every time the Lord brought increase into their life, oftentimes their brain, their focus, it decreased on the things of the Lord. You ever, you ever notice that? It happens to us. 
That's why there's so much apathy in, in, in America. That's why there, there, there's 1.7 is, is a good number. Like, eh, I hit two every once in a while, right? Well, average out, summer, you know, it's probably about 1.7. You're right. And so, like, and you have this increase of, of opportunity, this increase of blessing, which actually sometimes becomes a curse. And the more that the Lord allows increase in their lives, the more spiritually they would, they would decrease. So the Lord uh, occasionally would, would, would send prophets to them. In this story, the prophet Jeremiah has come to the people of, of Israel. They're in Jerusalem, their, their, their city. They have the temple of God that Solomon ha- has built. And he, he tells them over and over and over again into all his older age, get your crap together. Get your crap together. You're cocky. You're arrogant. You think, you, you think you, you're everything in a bag of chips. You've married with, with, other, with other people from other, other, other countries. People say, what's the big deal? Well, when you married them, not only did you marry them physically, but you married their culture, and you moved in here, false gods made in by, by, by man's hands, and now you're worshiping not just God in, a, in, in this temple, but you're worshiping all these foreign gods, which, 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 which we do, we don't know it, but we do. We worship the sun. We, we, we worship wealth. We worship status. These are all different gods. The Bible calls them idols. So Jeremiah says, listen to me, something bad's happening if you don't change. Something bad is going to happen because if the Lord allows you to live like this for the rest of your lives, you're going to live forever away from him in eternity. So I'm going to allow us to be shaken up so that you refocus your attention on me, which maybe is exactly what happened in 2020. Maybe he needed to get somebody's attention. Maybe he needed to shake the apathy. Maybe he needed to shake the extra dead weight out of the church so that the desperate people that needed to get into the church can get in while the apathetic people can spend their time watching online. Maybe that's what happened. And Jeremiah preaches and preaches and preaches and preaches and preaches and nobody listens to him. Nobody, nobody listens to him. He preaches his whole life. Finally, the Babylonians come. They come twice. First time they come, they destroy most of, 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 the, of the country, most of the city. Second time they come, they destroy everything, everything. They kill everything. They, take, they rape women. They, they, just, they, they, they kill kids. They take the best of the best. We're going to talk about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the next few weeks. They take the best of the best from the land, and they take them back to the, the empire of Babylon, and they indoctrinate them. They, they, they begin to teach them, your, your God is weak, and your ways are weak, and they change them. And we're going to see how they, how, they, how, they, how they lived in that over the next few weeks. But I want to introduce you first to a man named Ezekiel, because obviously Ezekiel, they take the best and the brightest. Ezekiel was a part of the second, the second uh, exile. They don't take him, so he, there's not much to him. He was training to be a priest in the temple, right? A flawed system at that point. And he ends up being in exile with these people, kind of uh, away from the, the, the empire and, and kind of without a lot of the, 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 the things, the comforts, the, uh, the luxuries that they had had as they were in the, the, the city of God and the, the country of God's blessing. And now they don't have a lot. And Ezekiel has been called by God as a prophet to go speak to them truth. I mean, I know sometimes the truth is not, is not pleasant. It's just not. Like, we, we like pleasantries, but God is not always pleasant. God is, God is built tough. God has truth for us sometimes. And the Bible says truth will set you free, but it doesn't mean truth is not painful. So Ezekiel begins to speak in this, in this season, and I love this part of Ezekiel chapter 3. I want to read it to you because, man, as, as a pastor, 
It's been my prayer. He said the same thing to Jeremiah at one point in his life. He said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the ability to speak to these people that are not going to listen to you. And so now Jeremiah is old and Ezekiel has come on the scene to speak to these people who are now in exile, who are trying to figure out what happened while Jeremiah for many years prior told them what was going to happen, but now they're surprised that it happened. You ever been there with God? Where he's like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Don't date that person. Don't drink that. Don't act like that. Don't hold in that anger. Don't be bitter. And then years later, something happens, right? Your heart, you actually physically have heart problems because you held that bitterness in. Or you're unhappy in your marriage that he told you not to do. You're like, what happened? He's like, what do you mean, what happened? What happened is you didn't listen. I told you for years not to do it. These people are like, what happened to God? Where did you go? And the Bible says this in Ezekiel 3, watch this. And he said to me, son of man, he says, eat what is before you, eat this scroll, and then go and speak to the people of Israel. I love this exchange. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And then he said to me, son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and he tasted as sweet as the honey in my mouth. So before you are able to be used by God to do something difficult, you must be filled with the Spirit of God. He says, fill your life with my words. And then he tells them this, and I love this, because God, he, he doesn't give you the small writing. He doesn't say, hey, it's going to be great. Oh, yeah, the small writing says it's going to be awful. Like, he just tells them flat out. Watch what he says. He says, he said to me, son of man, now go to the people of Israel and speak my words to them, not your words. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech or strange language, but to the people of Israel. Not to many peoples of obscure speech and strange language whose words you cannot understand. Because if I had sent you to them, they would listen to you. Sometimes it's harder to reach the people you're close with. If I had sent them to you, listen. But he says, but the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. Watch what he says to him, though. I love this part. He says, but I am going to make you, you need to highlight this. Because a lot of times it's like, God just wants you to be meek and mild. Does he? I'm gonna t- at some point I'm going to deal with the, the loving your neighbor because that's what I keep hearing. You can't have church, you got to love your neighbor. And, and then the verse where Jesus says, if you follow me, your mom and dad are going to hate you. Like, same thing. Love your neighbor, follow me. You might get to the point at some point where all of your family is going to hate you to follow me. So at what point do you go, what does it look like to love your neighbor, but also follow the Lord? How, how do you balance that out? Because I've heard so much of that in, in our culture. And watch what he says. I'm going to make you as unyielding, and hardened as they are. I'm going to build you tough, he says. I'm going to make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. This, this is God dropping Jesus bars into the soul of Ezekiel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you unyielding, and I'm going to make you hardened. Like, I don't see a lot of that coming out of Bible college these days. I see a lot of sponginess, right? I, I, I'm just playing, I'm, like most of my friends who came out into ministry, most of them are not doing it anymore. Because we haven't sought the Lord and hurt. I'm going to make you unyielding and I'm going to make you hardened. I'm going to make your head like flint. Don't be afraid of them and terrified, though they are a rebellious people. Now go do what I called you to do. And we have the opportunity in this moment. I feel like the church has cowered. I feel like we're... we're We've been pushed back. I feel like we're scared. I feel like we're intimidated. I feel like sometimes that as we go into the world that we're ashamed of the message that we have, that, that we're intimidated, that somebody is not going to believe it, that, that it's going to feel like we're judgmental if we share the truth. And I need to give you some things that I need to develop in you if we are going to be the church that we need to be. Because when people hit rock bottom, they're going to need to know where to turn 
And if we haven't stood our ground and been the church that we're supposed to be, they're not going to know where to go. I want to be ready for the people. I feel like it's coming. I feel like there needs to be a church that's prepared. But we need to be unyielding and we need to be hardened. We need to ask God to make our heads like flint. I love those words. Like if you're going to get a tattoo from the Bible, get that. Get eyes the deer pants for the water, whatever, man. Like you get that. What is that? I'm, I, that's a rock, man. That's flint. What is Flint? I don't know, but the Bible says that I need to have it. So let me give you just a few, a few things that, we, that I want to establish as we move forward. And we're going to next week talk about how you, how you stand and, and, and stuff like that through the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But three unyielding thoughts I want to give to you today. One is this. There is truth, and it's not tolerant. I, I hear all these words floating around. Being tolerant, all this stuff. I need you to understand that there is truth. We, we have it. I'm not even going to say we claim it. That's so arrogant you say you have it. Listen, if this isn't 100% true, then you are 100% stupid for being here. I'm just telling you. If this is not 100% true, then I'm 100% stupid for giving my life to preaching this, this word. Like there is truth as a church that we need to stand on. And it's not, it's not tolerant. And the problem is, is we've continued to move the truth bar in our society, even as a church. You know, years ago, they would say, you know, is, is there truth? And is there absolute truth? And is there right and wrong? And if you ask people in church, I'm not worried about the world, but if you ask people in church, most of the church people would say, yeah, there's, there's truth. Like, of course there's truth. Like, there's, there's right and wrong, and there's God's, God's command. Like, there's truth. Like, that, that's just... The way it is. As we've gone in, in history, through, through the 90s, through the 2000s, it began the number. Like it started about at 28% of people back in the 70s, 60s. They would say, no, nah, I don't know if there's truth, right? You know, I don't like absolute truth. And then in the 90s, 2000s, the bar started moving up to, to 50, 60, 70%. If you ask the church today as a whole, is there absolute truth? 91% of current American church people will tell you, no, there's not absolute truth. There's just not. It gets even worse if you're, if you're under the age of 21. It drops to about 3%. About 3% of people that you, you come in contact with will, will, will tell you in church, yeah, there's, like, there's, there's truth for everyone. It's true. It's true here. It, it, it's true in, 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 the, in Africa. It's true if you go down to South America. It's true if you're crazy and you go up to Antarctica. Or down, wherever it's at. It's true. Like, there's truth. It's true in 2020. It's going to be true in 2030 and 40. It was true in 1980. There, there is truth. And here's the problem. In our world, we, we don't even, we don't, we don't practice that. Like, that's just not part of, of our life anymore. In fact, uh, one, one time I walked into Wawa, they were giving free brownies away. And, and I walked by them. I got one. I ate it. Right? This, this, this other girl walked by. And I heard her say, oh, the brownies aren't healthy. I'm not going to eat a brownie. I'm like, that's a great choice. I'll take hers, right? I'll eat your brownie. And, and, and so I was eating the brownies, and I was up at the cash register. I was checking out, and she came behind me. And I looked back into, into what, what she had chosen, because I figured if you don't eat a brownie, you're going to go get like a, like a kind bar or, or, or like, a, like, a, like a vitamin water or some, some kind of water that oxidizes your system, and, and maybe, maybe some unsalted almonds, right, something like that. She puts down a Coke and a bag of Doritos. 
<laughs> and I was like, I was like, you need, I was like, eating your brownie. I'm like, eating your brownie right now. And I realized real quickly, like it, what, the brownie, the truth to her was the brownie's unhealthy, but this, this right here, this is the will of the Lord for me. <laughs> Happened again this week to me. I have been in many arguments about, about the effectiveness of masks, as, as we all, like our world. Who would have thought, who would have thought in 2020 that the main source of contention is, is your mask up over your nose? Is it right? Is it, you know, is it this? Do you have your mask? Boys, get your mask. Where's your, where is your flipping mask? Where is it at? It's the third one I bought today. Where, like, get your mask on and like all these things. And the argument is, are they effective? And, you know, depends, depends what, on the person, right? And should you wear them? And are they taking our rights? And I had this, this one guy used to go to our church and he, he has been very adamant uh, online because there's been a few times online where we have been accused of, of being anti, anti-maskers and people have talked bad about us. And I remember this one guy that used to go to our church, he said something about me personally on- online. And he said, he's, a, he's an idiot. He doesn't believe in masks. And I remember thinking to myself, okay. And so like, I hope I don't see you. I'll punch you. And so like that's, <laughs> I, I was mad. Then I ran into him because this is the way the Lord works. He tests you. We walked by each other on, on Bridge Street this week as I was, as I was leaving a, a, lunch, a lunch meeting and walked by him. And he, he was very nice to me because what I have found is in our day and age, people are very, very bold online kind of cowardly face-to-face. So don't be bold online. It takes nothing to be bold online. In fact, people that are boldest online are often the weakest. Be, be bold. Be bold in your life. Stand, stand in your life. Don't, don't make a stand online. Anybody can do that. And so I saw him, and he looked at me, and I, we say, he said, hey, how you doing? I said, how are you doing? And all this stuff. And I noticed he didn't have a mask on. We were on Bridge Street. Not a mask at all. Nowhere. I did have my mask on because there's big signs that say mask up on Bridge Street, keep it open. And at this point, I need to keep it open. I need to be out to eat. And so, like, like I'll, I'll wear a mask. I don't care. And then I noticed something else that I thought was confusing. Because he has done the study and I, all that stuff, and he has figured out masks lower the risk and keep your risk and my risk and all these signs that have gone, gone on, yet he doesn't have it on and he accused me of being an idiot. Yet there's other, there's other studies that have, that have gone on for the last 20 years that I've noticed because I grew up in the day and age of D.A.R.E. and all these things where they kind of started to attack cigarettes and they figured out that cigarettes cause cancer. Secondhand smoke is really bad for you. Right? And I noticed he was smoking a cigarette. And I noticed that he was smoking it as I was standing there, and he was kind of blowing it into the air where I was standing. And I thought to myself, you've made such a big stink about the truth of mask, but you're choosing your truth because you're also smoking a cigarette, which not only kills you at a higher percentage of COVID, by the way, but it also can kill me. So all of a sudden, you care about people I don't until your truth is, I need to smoke, bro. And I'm not judging him. I'm not being intolerant of his beliefs. I just think that's dumb. I think if it's true, it's true. It's true all the time in any situation. That's why you won't hear me talk about dressing a certain way in church. That's why you're not going to hear me make a stink about music and make a stink about lights and make a stink about decor because I know in 20 years, this is not going to be true anymore. This is going to be lame. We'll be doing something different if I build my truth here. I'm not going to tell you to wear your hair in a bun. If you want to make that your truth, make it, but that's not true. But there is some things that are true. Like the Bible says in the book of John, watch what Jesus says. He says, I am, watch what he says, the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says this really intolerant thing. Nobody gets to God except through me. Re- real simple. Yeah, but I don't know. 
you know, I don't want to tell my friends they're going to hell. You know, it sounds so judgmental and intolerant. And, and I get the tolerant thing when it comes to unimportant things. Like, I tolerate people coming here that don't like the Eagles. You know what I'm saying? Like, I tolerate that. We can, we can, we, we can agree that you're wrong. I, 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 t- I went to a wedding shower the other, the other day, or wedding, not shower, a, re- a rehearsal dinner, and they gave you a choice for ice cream at the end, just two choices, vanilla and chocolate. And to me, you, you just, like, I tolerate people that choose vanilla. I'm like, you, you, you're a man, right? You have a truck. You don't eat vanilla ice cream. You're supposed to eat chocolate ice cream, right? So I tolerate that. Like, there's difference of opinions of things. This is not an opinion, This is the words of the one who sacrificed his life on a cross for me and you. He took our beating. He rose in power from the dead. And now he says, I am, point blank, the way, the truth, and the life. And then he looks at us and he says, nobody, not you, not them, not this person, not over there, not the Pope, not the nicest person you can think about. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. In fact, I would say Jesus is the least tolerant person that I've ever met in my life. Nobody, nobody gets to the Father except through me. Why, why are we struggling so much? Why, why are we struggling so much with, with being a church who stands up and says, man, there is absolute truth and his name is, is Jesus. And he, here's what's, what's, if there's no absolute right, then there's also no absolute wrong. And so in a world you're dealing with that, you just need to understand it doesn't make sense. Like there's two terms. One term is relativism, and, and, and the other term that I've learned in my life is called uh, subjectism. Subjectivism. Relativism is, is truth continues to revolve. Subjectivism is it evolves according to the person, the subject. And it doesn't make sense. It only makes sense till you get to a certain point and you go, well, you have a sister, and let's say she gets raped by somebody. But the guy that raped her or girl, it was just the way, he, what he wanted to do, it was true for him, it was what he felt in that moment, like we all know, and it's, we're going, no, there's truth, there is right and, and wrong, and I totally agree with that, but right and wrong and truth starts with the one who created the earth, and came to us through the one who came to save us, his name is Jesus, and at some point, we need to stand, because here's what happens, if there's no truth, you have absolutely no aggression in your, in your faith. But if there's truth, every person you come in contact with that doesn't yet know Jesus is not walking in truth. And the Bible says they're walking in death. And here, the Bible says the wages of their, their, their sin, their death, is, is hell. And so we need to understand how much, how much rides on us standing by truth in this situation. And it, listen, it's beyond, because we're about to go into the, this, the, the next two months. I'm just going to let you know. You thought, you thought, that the first eight months of 2020 were wild? Let's, let's, let's go into the election together. You, about, you better strap on your big boy pants. Get your helmet. Right? We ain't, listen, if you're at this church, get your eyes fixed on Jesus right now. You know, I know, I got truth on my, you don't got no truth on your Facebook page. You don't even know what truth is. The truth is Jesus Christ. Every person you come into contact with, they need Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, the greatest threat to their life is death. So number one, truth. I got two more real quick. Number two, Laura, you can come play me out because I'm talking too, too long. You guys are good, are engaged today, and so it's just, I just want to keep going. It's fun. And so, uh, but number, number two is this, is being sincere. Here's two more real quick ones. 
We're going to talk about truth, and then we're going to start teaching people, and it's not about sincerity because being sincere is not sufficient. See, here's here's what we do then. I I read this this week. 53% of American adults believe if a person is good, they'll go to heaven, right? 53%. 43% of born-again Christians say it doesn't matter what religious faith you follow because ultimately all faiths lead to the same place, all all of them. It doesn't matter. And about 60% of church members said they believe that many, many religions go, go, go towards eternal life, which is why you've seen such an apathy in our Christian faith. Because when you believe, well, I kind of believe the same thing, which, which by the way, it's just not true. You've got to study your faith. It's, it's not even true of your Catholic friends, many of them. I mean, because it's like a lot of times they get lumped together and a lot, a lot of what the Catholic church is just different. See, re- religions, this is what they teach you. Religions teach you, uh, you're mad, Every, everyone starts there, there's this good God, he's somewhere out there, and you need to do a couple right things, and then this good God will, will, will take you back, right? And so, you, this is religion. Okay, what do I do, what do I got to do? First, you got to come, come to the temple, go to church, uh, depending on what religion you do, here's how you're going to pray, Here, here's what you're, where you're going to face, here's how many times you're going to pray. Uh, here's the actions you're going to take. You know, some religions come with, with, a, with, with a dress code. You're going to start wearing a robe or you're going to cover yourself up head to toe. Or, you know, if you're, if you're men and not, you're going to wear jeans, you know, denim and head coverings and Pentecostal, you know, you're at Pentecostal, ripped jeans, you know, tight shirt, stuff like that. Like we're going, like this dress codes. Like here's the things you're going to do. Start to, start to go to classes. You know, hey, you really, really be good? You want to really be good? Send your kid to confirmation class. Get them confirmed, whatever you call that, catechism, whatever it is. Get them into there, right? Don't ever go to church, but make sure you get them into there. No, nothing will kill your kid quicker than you not wanting to go somewhere. You're making them go. Right? If you're in, get them baptized. Get, get baptized. Do something like that. Like, do, do that. Dump water on your baby's head. Like, do, do these things. Get a, get a tombstone somewhere. Here's all the things you're going to do. This list of things, if you're really sincere, God will love you. But here, here's what Scripture says, and we, get, we got it, the truth of Scripture. It says, even your best actions are filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. Now, if, you wanna, if, you're, if you're really brave, that verse is in Isaiah, Google the, 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 the background of that verse. Don't do it with your kids around. Even your best is, is, is not good enough, he says. So that, that's religion, world religion. I'm going to do enough, cross my fingers, if I get to heaven someday, I'll be there. Sincerity is sufficient. And we know that's not true. Think about it. I read a story a couple, a couple years ago about a person, uh, a nurse, who was supposed to hook oxygen up in a New York City hospital to a patient, but she accidentally uh, hooked up carbon monoxide. And, and the patient was dead within a few moments. And, and it wasn't like, hey, hey, hey. Hey, she didn't mean to mess up. She was sincere in her actions. What do you think the family did? Okay, cool. They lost their mind. They sued the hospital. You killed our love, our loved one because you put carbon monoxide into their system. But she was sincere. Sincerity is not sufficient. Some of you have friends. You're like, yeah, but they're really good people. 
really good people. They're like, like last year, they went on a, they went on a, on, a, on a work trip to this part of the country, and they gave up time. I was at the beach, and they were on a work trip, and like they're they're like they bought somebody's coffee last year one time in line, and they and, and, and they like are really kind. Like I cried one time about this, and they just they just gave me their shoulder to cry, on. and they're like the best person ever. Which, by the way. You, 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 are not, you are not the judge of, of the right and the wrong and how good somebody is. Like, that's just not how we get to live. And the truth is, they're not really that good of a person. If you got to see in their head and hear their thoughts, and, and like, sincerity is not enough. And so the Bible lets us know through Scripture uh, that, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That the wages of our, our sin is death and hell. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's death and hell. But then, it says, but, but, but then Jesus came, Right? And but anybody that calls on the name of Jesus, he, he died on the cross for us as we find this out in the book of John, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That whoever is important though. He doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die a gruesome death for the really bad people, the ones that need it, people like you, Steve. But then the good ones, the really good ones, they don't need that. They'll get in because you know, A, B, C, and D. He doesn't say that. He says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's really simple. It's not about right or wrong. And sincerity is not sufficient. It's not sufficient. And some of you are walking around, you're going, yeah, but my friends, no, man, listen. It, I want to I wake you up one more time. Here you're at Montgomeryville. If your friend right now that's living don't play games with me and be like, oh, they might be in, they might be out. You, come on. You hear them talk. It's not in being judgmental. You watch their actions. You know they're not following Christ. And if their heart stops beating right now, I want to give you a wake-up call to those that have family members that you're afraid to talk to, people like that. If their heart stops beating right now in this moment, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that they will die, they will stand before God, they will hear, depart from me, you never knew me, and they will spend eternity away from him in a place that the Bible calls hell. It's why we're here today. It's why we're having church. Because hell, hell is too real for me to take six months off because of COVID. There's, there's too much on the line. Sincerity is not enough. And let me just give you one more, one more thought for you. That I want to, to be something that drives us. Because a lot of times we're like, yeah, but I don't want to say anything because I just, I just want my friends to be happy. They're so happy. Listen, I, I can't be okay with those around me just being happy. Happiness is an awful life goal. That's why I think the church has done a bad job because we preach so many messages and it's like, yeah, you just follow God, everything will be great. What, what Bible plan are you reading? What story did you read? The one where Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den because he decided to not stop praying? Or the one that we're going to talk about next week where they don't bow and the, and the king of the empire throws them into a fiery furnace? Or, or maybe the one where the dude gets swallowed by a whale? Or how about the one where he asked the guy to build a big boat in the middle of a desert? How about that one? Or let's go to the New Testament. Let's just talk about Paul and Peter. Let's talk about Peter and John, maybe, getting whipped and beaten and thrown in prison, or Paul getting bit by a snake, or, or John then a little bit later getting exiled to an island while he was tried, they tried to kill him and they burned him alive. Put him there. Nobody wanted to look at him anymore. 
Let's just talk about all these things. The Bible doesn't one time mention happiness, but it does mention purpose. It does, it does mention joy. It does mention hope. It doesn't mention happiness is an awful goal. And what I found is oftentimes we have friends that we, oh, they're so happy. So happy. Listen, you want to know, I have a dog now, right? So I'm learning a lot about dog life as, a, as an adult. My, my dog is the happiest when I let him go out in the yard. And if I don't pick his poop up, you guys know where I'm going? He's like a pig in money. He goes out to the yard, he starts getting, he'll be running around with his little, little turd in his mouth and running up to me. And I'm like, oh! You ever been there where you're like, what are you doing? That came out of your body. And, he, and, and then I'll be like, drop it. And he acts like I'm trying to take something from him. Like I'm being mean. I'm like, dude, you're, you're chewing on your own stuff right now. He's happy though. Just let him go. Let him eat it. Right? Says nobody in this room. You're like, no, he tries to lick me with that mouth. Right? So, so as we're in that mindset of disgust, Shouldn't we be disgusted with ourselves and we look at our friends and we say, oh, they're happy though. You're, 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 you're going to be okay with that? Your, your friend is feasting on crap? And you're okay with that. You're okay with them not having God. Your God has saved you and set you free and redeemed you and rescued you. And you're okay with your friend eating crap? Or you can do everything you can. I, I, happy is not a good goal for your friends. And I, I get it. And the reason I think so much, so much of us struggle, struggle with this is the Bible calls the fear of man. It says fear of man in the book of Proverbs. It says it's a snare to us. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of offending. We're afraid of being weird. But for me, I am, I am more afraid of my friend going to hell. And I don't know how exactly it works. There's not a lot of implications of, of how things happen in heaven. But there is, there is scripture reference in the Bible where Jesus tells a story between two men, a poor man and a rich man, and the, the poor man is in what he calls Abraham's bosom or something like that, or he's, actually he's in Hades, and the rich man, uh, or the poor, the, the beggar was with, with the Lord, but they can see each other. You ever, you ever read that story? It's kind of weird. And I think to myself, God forbid, if, if, if I have to look down from perfection and, and see a friend that says, why didn't you ever say anything? Yeah, I just didn't want to because you looked happy eating your crap. You looked like you were really enjoying yourself. See, at some point, we got to get bold with our faith. We, we got we to gotta, we gotta walk what we, what, we, what we believe. And if we really believe that, that everybody who dies apart from the Lord spends eternity in hell, it'll change the way we speak to people. It'll change the, the passion that we have. If we really believe truth, and truth sets people free, we will be unashamed with our faith. Unashamed in this moment. Are we living in the final, final moments of the world? I don't know, but I want to act like we are. I want to be that. I want to wake up every day, and I want to act like every conversation, every interaction might be the last opportunity that I have to share a message. And even when people don't listen, and even when people do make fun of us, and even when people say you're crazy, and even when people say no for the hundredth time, I'm going to go back to the book of Ezekiel. What am I? My head's like flint. I'm unyielding, and I'm unwavering. I'm unyielding, and I'm unwavering. I've eaten so much of the Lord's word today that I don't even care what anybody else thinks and says about me. We got to be built tough, church.
built tough. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And as we, we close in prayer today, I, I just, I just want to keep building something in our church week in and week out. I want the Lord to just continue. Like sometimes you preach a sermon, it's topic to topic. But other times it, it's, it, it just goes from like, it just builds. I just want him to build. I want to, I want to, I want to take the risk together. Now I want him to build this tenacity in our church, this tenacity in our faith. Listen, uh, we're not failures if we share our faith with people and they say no. I want you to hear this from me. You are a failure if you don't share your faith, period. If they turn you down, if they say no, if they laugh at you, at least you won't have blood on your hands someday. At least you won't have blood on your hands. I want to live my life where everybody knows what I believe and everybody knows that I believe the same thing about them. They know that I believe that I'm saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ through grace. They know that I'm saved through repentance. I've turned my life over to God. I'm not in control of it anymore. And they know that, that, that I believe that that is the only way to be, be made right with God. It's 100% true or it's 100% stupid. Jesus did not come to teach us morals. Jesus came to show us that our best moral following still left us spiritually empty. We needed the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can live, friend. So I'm gonna pray for a fresh passion, a fresh fire, a fresh aggression. Some of you so intimidated in your mind, but a fresh mindset to share your faith. Every word that comes out of your mouth has the power of life and death, the Bible says. And as we, we, we go through that as a, as a church, I want to be really clear with, with people here today because there's, there's people that you're not a church person. You're like, man, you're getting, getting after it. And I think for some of you, I mean, this day, this, this is your day. Every, everybody has a moment. Faith is not this thing you kind of slide yourself into. You know, you dip one, thing, one foot in, then you dip the next foot in. It's not like getting in the pool. I always tell my boys in the summer, best way to get in the pool, just jump in. Just jump in. That's the only way to enter faith, by the way. You just jump in. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have it all together. I don't have all the answers. I'm not even aware fully of everything you're talking about. But I am aware that my life is kind of empty. I am aware that, that I wake up without purpose every day. I am aware that I carry around shame in my life and the baggage of sin. And I'm aware that I need a change right now. And I believe as you talked about the name of Jesus, something was stirred in my, my soul. Like I, I began to feel something pulling at me. The Bible says that the Lord begins to knock at the door of our hearts. All we need to do is let him in. All we need to do is let him in. And so if you're here right now and you're listening to my voice, if you're in Montgomeryville, if you're joining us online even, Maybe you stumbled across this message. Somebody shared this with you and you're sitting there in your home and you're tired of living life on your own. You realize that you've messed up. You realize that you've fallen short. The Bible says if you would turn your life over to the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the way, the truth, and the life, that you can come back to the Father through him. That you get adopted into the family of God, that you're a son or a daughter of God, but not because you're good, but because Jesus is good. Jesus is good. And what an opportunity that you have today. The Bible says heaven, it almost stands still in this moment. Uh, the Lord, 
Jesus, he intercedes for people. That means he prays on people's behalf. He's praying for you right now. He's seen you. He knows you. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. And he has given you through his actions, his love, the gift of salvation, the gift of freedom. But you need to receive it. And here's what we do at this, at this church. Uh, if it's you and you're ready to receive it, uh, we're going to pray. Uh, but before we pray, just as a sign, this is the day. I'm not going to slide into my faith, but I'm going to jump full, fully into my faith. Today's going to be the day. Today's the day I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. As we pray in this moment, we're going to move through this quickly. I'm not going to try to make this a, a, a dramatic, feelings-based decision. No, no, no. The Lord's already began to work. There's people in this room right now. You would say, that's it. This is, this is what I needed. I need Jesus Christ in my life. I'm going to ask him to be the Lord of my life. And this is the moment that I need to have. I'm not sliding in. I'm jumping into my faith with him. I'm jumping into a relationship with him. So if that's you all over our houses. Come on, you need to decide to follow Jesus Christ. Real quickly, one bold step of faith, not going to make you come forward, but I just want you to take your hand. I want you to shoot it straight towards heaven. And when you do that, that's a sign between you and Jesus. Today, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Today, I need my sins forgiven. Today, I need to accept the gift of salvation. Come on, in, in Montgomeryville, you're going to say, hey, that's me, Pastor. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Maybe you're joining us online you would say, hey, that's me. You can't raise your hand physically. I know that, but you can just let us know in the comments. Well, we're just going to begin to pray all over our houses if you haven't yet responded, but you know you need to. You know you need to get your life right with God through Jesus Christ. You're just going to begin to respond as I pray. Come on, I see a hand right there. Yes, anybody else say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. I'm going to begin to pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. But I thank you as, as people in, in, our, in our rooms watching online that they're responding in faith to you. I thank you, Lord, that they're giving you the, themselves right now. Maybe they don't fully understand this, but Jesus, right now, they're stepping into faith. Uh, they're stepping into forgiveness. They're stepping in, into hope, Lord. We're grateful for this moment that we have. Lord, we gather together and we sing your praises and, and, and we open up your word and, and we do so with our mind fixed on you, that you do what only you can do. This, what happens here is life-changing. It's life-changing, Lord, and we're grateful for that, Lord. As we leave this place, Lord, the point of today's message, let's go, let's go change the world. Let, let's, let's be unashamed with our message that we have. Let, let's, let's stand on truth because the Bible says that truth sets people free. Let, let's not be people pleasers. Let's live our life to please you. Let's live our lives to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we're grateful for all that you've done, all that you continue to do, Lord. The new people that you're welcoming into this community and the mission that you are setting on fire inside of us as we move through this year and into the future that you've called and created us to. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, church. Let's, let's say amen and let's clap together all over our houses. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.